Pulp MX Network production. It's a different side of moto. The stories of struggle, failure, and inspiration told by the people who lived through it. It's Kenny's Corner with Kenny Watson and special guests. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Kenny's Corner. This is Kenny Watson. The guest I'm going to have today is a really unique individual, a really good guy, a guy that's been around, was around the sport for, you know, the 90s and uh, has an awesome story. Um, you know, ups and downs of life and in general and, you know, still to this day is uh, working on uh, a better life and do uh, better things all the way around. So uh, here we go. My guest today is the Swinkster, Brian Swink. What's up, Brian? Same old shit, man. Trying to live my life. That's it. Right on, Getting dude. It. What are you up to right now? A normal person would be driving home from work. What are you doing? Uh, laying my fat ass in bed. Doing nothing. Oh, in bed already? It, <laughs> it, is, it is 6 o'clock. Yeah. What time do you get up for work? 4 o'clock? Yep. Uh, about 4, 4, 5 every day. and Do my thing. Fuck. That's awesome, bro. Glad to hear it. Well, anyways, mm-hmm. let's kick this thing off. Let's start. So, uh, the Swinkster. Every people don't know Brian Swink is a Michigan native. You know, born and raised in Michigan. Um, so, what was like the beginning of it w- with racing? Like, how did you first get introduced to racing? And you know, everybody had you know their dad got him a bike. They started riding. Blah blah blah. What was your the beginning for you? Yeah, when I raced, I started racing. It, I was I couldn't ride until I was seven, and my brother rode before me, and so I just when when I turned seven, I got a motorcycle. My mom and dad bought me a motorcycle. My birthday's in December, and in Michigan, it's miserable in December. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I got a motorcycle for my birthday and w- when I first started loop out on the starting line wait so if you got a motorcycle in December when was the first time you rode it uh probably April oh shit I so guess. it just just sat in the garage yeah. and you were just a kid Jones yeah, and ready to ride it there and I was Jones and so to learn how to ride this thing because I didn't know how to ride it and like I say loop out on the starting line first race my dad had to run behind me the whole whole first motos and pick me up and put me back on it and pick me up and put me back on it and that that's how i learned how to ride a motorcycle so when did it all switch like shit i'm i i go pretty good on a dirt bike like i'm gonna race what what happened there no i, I wasn't that good and, and then I, I completely sucked for years and then uh yamaha came out with a mono shock 60 I, I right why is he 60 yep yep and so when i got one of those all of a sudden now i'm a badass and i went from getting last every race to getting you know, four fifth you know what i mean and it, it was completely life-changing for me and I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. In in fourth, fifth grade in school, I said, see my autograph on my notebook a million times over. And so my my buddies would sit behind me and like, what are you doing? I said, because I'm fixing to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> so you knew right there in, in school that like, you're like, I'm practicing my autograph because I'm going to be signing a yeah. lot of these motherfuckers. Yeah, like, like, like in fifth, sixth grade, yeah. That's awesome. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm fixing to be a badass. <laughs> That's sweet. So when when did it turn the corner where you, you know, took your racing to, you know, the amateur level where you started to go to Loretta's and you started to go to, you know, other races like that? And what was, like, the first race where you really, you know, got a name for yourself where people recognized what you were doing? I would say uh, Ponca City, maybe. 
um, when I, because uh, I was a Team Green guy, Kawasaki, and somehow it was the first year they had a water cooled where Loretta Lens wouldn't allow you to do a pre-production bike, but me, Bud, Bud Man, Buddy Antonez, and I, I, I'm assuming I, I can't name all the guys, but we we were like factory riders and got tons of. We we were like factory guys, you know what I mean? Factory mini bike riders. Yeah, and it, it was crazy for me, and that that's when I realized that this is what I'm fixing to do for the rest of my life. I don't give a shit what anybody says. I'm about to be a badass dirt bike racer. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I, I went with it. You know what I mean? It's hard. So when you were at that age, were you a badass where you just wanted to fight everybody and beat people up? Like, you're just like, I ain't afraid of you. I'll fight you. Yeah. Did you have that yeah, mentality absolutely. at that young age, too? Like, don't give a fuck about nothing, but I'm going to win this race? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. It, yeah, it, it was... I'm, I mean, I fist fought people in school and anywhere I went, and... If I had to do it, you know what I mean. I, I make it. I make it happen. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I remember. I remember when uh, MMA was just starting to get big, and I had a really good friend of mine that I, we used to bring to the races all the time, Mark the Bear Smith. And uh, yeah. I remember you used to love talking about fighting, and he'd show you grappling moves and your shit. I love this shit. I love fighting. Yeah. I love it. I think I still think to this day, dude, you're you're pretty much into MMA, and you still enjoy that, don't you? Oh, I love it. Yeah. But yeah. It's pretty cool. I love it. So so check it out. What um what was like the 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 when you moved up to the big bike? Um when was it like an eye-opening experience like I can do this. Like and you got the the I wouldn't say approval or the attention from the industry like can you remember the the situation and the time and the place where someone came up to you and they're like, "Dude, what's who are you? What are you doing? How, how do you who helps you or any of that stuff? Like the the first really exposure that someone came up to you that you were like, wow, I can't believe that guy came and just talked to me. Uh, I, I wouldn't say one person, but uh, I I was a huge JMB fan, and I loved JMB. And he he came to me one day and asked me. He said, hey, can we ride together and practice? That's when they did, like, factory practice and, you know, they separated the factory riders and different people. And he, I was like, why do you want to ride with me? He's like, because I can learn from you. Wow. Like, how, how are you going to learn from me, dude? Like, I'm questioning him because I'm in awe. You know what I mean? I was like, really? He's like, dude, you're the baddest dude I've ever seen ride a motorcycle. You could stop. Like, you could stop right there. That's all you got to say in my eyes. Well, Brian, uh, what was the next like event like you could think of like as an amateur going to the big bike like where you know the the, the event? I know that you just talked about like JMB coming to you, but what was the event? And you know, if someone talked to you, if it was you know Mark Johnson from Team Green or anybody else. It was, uh, I guess, Mr. Payton. He, he came to me and he said, really, dude, you ride with stock handlebars? What race was this at? Where was this at? World Mini. Uh, well, at the In old Vegas. track, right? The old World Mini track. Yeah, the old one. The dusty piece of shit track. Uh, easy. Take it easy on that. But it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was pretty bad. But Mitch is like, dude. Ride stock handlebar risers, stock handlebars. Everything's out of the box for you. You you all ask. It's like well, you need all that fancy shit to win. And so that would that would have been in the era with 
you probably had McGrath on the line, Ryan Hughes, Jimmy Button, Kyle Lewis, yourself, Buddy Antonez, Joel Albrecht, um, you know, guys like that, Gaddis maybe. Yep. I mean, those, I just named eight guys right there, and you know what? There's only going to be one winner, and you know who that winner was that day? The badass. Me. The badass. <laughs> Swings are messing around. So, hey, let's talk about this. When you when you went to that World Mini Race, I hate yeah. to say it, but I think I was there. I think it was 1990 at the old World Mini Track. I was there with Kyle Lewis. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember you being there, and I remember that class was – Guys like Kyle Lewis, Jeremy McGrath, Ryan Hughes, uh, Chris mm-hmm. Neal, um, what was that? What Tommy Clowers? Uh, I mean, the, buddy, there was, there was, there was, a, there was it, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, it was, it was a pretty much call it ten years later. That was the, the starting lineup at a, at, a, at an outdoor national, pretty much. You know, Jeff right. Hammock, all the dudes were there, hands down. Right. And I want to think you won. That's what I want to think. I remember because. Kyle didn't win, and I thought for sure he would win because he was racing Supercross, and we were going to an amateur race for contingency money at the time. And the Swingster won it. And I remember Kyle Lewis on the way home talking about it. That dude's going to be bad. And I'm like, you think so? But there was, he was riding against amateurs, and I was new to the, the whole sport, and I really didn't know. And I remember the next year, and maybe you could you could bring, you know, talk about this. I know... Um, Stanton and Rick Johnson went to Loretta Lynn's and Jeff Stanton was the guy from the East Coast and Rick Johnson was the West Coast guy and it was Jeff's job to recruit you to go to Mitch's team or to Honda at the time and Jeremy's to go to Honda on a full factory or a factory supported team and it ended up going to Mitch. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um <laughs> Stan, it, 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 I hate to say it because I respect Jeff for what he's done, but he fucked me. You know what I mean? He he pulled me in and told me he would take me and train me and do all this stuff, which probably could have trained my completely changed everything I did in my life. But he. He got me to sign a contract, and I called him 15 times. I drove a friggin' Nissan little pickup truck out to California, and he, he wouldn't return my calls. I, at that point, I I dislike him, and I'm gonna say it right now. And if I I could fist fight. Jeff Sand, I definitely would do it in one second because he fucked me and Honda used him to get me to sign a contract and I did it. Did you have a lot of other uh, companies looking at you at the time? I know you wrote for Kawasaki. Was Kawasaki interested? No. Kawasaki had me, Rhino, and Jeremy. We were all Team Green guys. So after that year, if I remember, you and Jeremy went to Honda, and they okay, and they picked Rhino, and that was Mm -hmm. okay. Okay, I remember that. So going into that, going into that first season, when you ended up going to Mitch, how did that relationship like between you and Mitch? Because I know Mitch is one of those guys that when he gets you know riders, he really likes to embrace them and, and and pick them up and kind of like be a mentor and kind of a father figure. You know, if you can come to me, you can ask me anything. And he's still that way to this day with his guys. Like, you know, he's just, I think you and him have a lot in common with how straight you are with people. You know, if Mitch, if, if you suck, you suck. And Mitch Payton will, will he'll, he'll say that. Like, maybe not you suck, but he'll say maybe you should do something different. But, uh, and if he's not interested, he's not interested. He's not going to sugarcoat it and go, hey, I'll give you a call next week and not call you like this industry does. And you know, you're, you're you know, you don't get a deal when you don't get a call back, which I don't agree on, but. How did how did that relationship with Mitch um, go in that in that first year? Because who were your teammates? You had Jeremy, you Lampson, and Buell. Is that correct? Or Mike Brown? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So with with all those different personalities, how did how did that relationship with Mitch work? Were you guys pretty cool? Yeah, we we were good. And Mitch 
uh, he he knew I was going and talking to Suzuki, and he he told me straight up, he's like, fine, whatever you do, don't sign up, deal with them. Let me work with you a little bit. And you know what I did? I went and signed a fucking deal, and it jacked me. All right, well, my whole life up. Well, it well, changed well, my whole life. Well, before, before, before you went there, that first season you had, um, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty fucking amazing what you did. I mean, that that team came out. It was a new team. It was like the first of anything's ever anybody's ever seen with the full team. Everyone looked the same. The bikes looked the same. The mechanics were all, you know, dressed to a T. Everything was awesome. And you guys backed it up by kicking the factory's ass week in and week out. You won the East Coast. Jeremy won the West Coast. And, you know, I, I remember outdoors, you blowing by guys on that peak bike. Like, Hey, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, Honda were, they were only our su- Supercross only sponsor. Uh-huh. Yep. And I was winning four races in, I was winning the outdoor championship. So you were the points and, leader after uh, four rounds? Yeah, at four or five, something like that. Yeah, and uh, Mitch is like, dude, my, my guy's winning. You, you can't shut him down. Honda, what Honda say? Honda went, oh, we're a super cross only contract. Sorry, buddy. So say for them it, saying it, that, Mitch, Mitch went fuck this, and Mitch said I'll pay for it because this guy's a bad dude right here, and talking about me, and I'm not gonna just let him hang out to dry for nothing. And Honda's like, we don't care, we don't care if he wins or loses. Do you think Honda was like that because they had their own team and they were getting their ass kicked by a by a satellite team? I don't know, but it, it it was a bad deal, you know what I mean? And Mitch is the badass that they said, hmm? if I got to put my money in, I'll throw my money in, all in. Because you don't get a guy that, <laughs> you know, five races in, he's winning shit. I mean, that's, that's you're, you're talking that's the year 1990 when Bale was riding the 125 yeah. class and yep. Kudrowski and all these other dudes that were legit Guy Cooper and, you know, LaRocco and just so on I, and so I forth. I down on motherfuckers. That's what I'm talking about, Swingster. That's the Swingster <laughs> I know. Like, it's it's so crazy that, like, you know, I, I go back in time and I think about those days and just, like, people that never seen you ride a motorcycle, it's... Like, there's not even a guy out there that I can compare you with. There's a guy out there right now that I could compare your your aggressive and your, your aggressiveness and how aggro you were on a motorcycle. I would have to compare you to a guy like Cooper Webb. Cooper Webb has your swagger, and he reminds me of Damon Bradshaw a little bit. How he just has, I don't give a fuck attitude, and I'm going to do whatever it's going to take to win, and I don't make excuses. And if I don't like you, you know, if you watch him on TV, he says straight out. You know, I'm going to put that guy on the fucking ground. You know, talking about Moosecan. He said he's going to park him in his interview after this weekend. No, he's just doing, he's up to his old. If if you, I know you don't do like Facebook, but my Facebook just, I I just said, that's that's my guy right there. Oh. It says he's a beast. Oh, he, dude, he, dude, and you know where he's from? He's from North Carolina, just like Damon. I know. He's a beast from the East, too. Badass. But. Badass. Yeah, so you know, we could get back to that other thing. So, so at the end of '91, you know, of course, everybody was probably on your jock. You know, this is when it all started from from you know the the, I call it fluffing everyone's balls. That's when all the dick swinging started. That's when everyone started to jump on your bandwagon and uh, take it from there. What happened at, at the end of '91, where you know Mitch said, "Hey, don't do anything without talking to me," and you went ahead and. You went to Suzuki. They threw a bunch of money at a kid. You were there by yourself. You signed a deal with them. And what happened when you went back to Mitch and you had to tell him that? Uh, I saw him several year deal with Suzuki, and uh, it was the biggest fuck up of my life. Like if I can look back, you know, because I'm intelligent enough to look back and realize that 
how bad it was, like the stupid shit I did. And uh, Mick said, ah, I told you, don't do that. And God, I so wish I stayed with Mitch, but I didn't, you know what I mean? And, and then Jeremy started beating me. I told you this already, Kenny. It, when Jeremy started winning and I couldn't beat that son of a bitch, I, I couldn't understand why, because I thought I was better. I thought I was better than he was, but I couldn't beat him. And yeah, I'd lay in bed at night and cry myself to sleep. I mean, it, it got it got really rough for me for a long time, for like five years or something. And it's it's crazy to me because I mean, you still went out in '92 on the Suzuki 125 and had a pretty successful year. You you still you defended your championship. You won the East Coast again. And um, you did you ride a two fifty outdoors that year, or did you ride a one twenty five? You rode one twenty five outdoors, didn't you? Yeah, one twenty five, and then, uh, I watch Emmett go past me on that Yamaha. Like, literally go past me, and it, it wasn't because I didn't know how to shift. Wow, and and that yeah. bike was not the best bike either in ninety two. The why is it one twenty five? Awful. So. Okay, so you you had your little stint with Suzuki, and that really didn't work out with you. Um, and from the sounds of it, the way you're the way you're talking, it, it sounds like that pretty much took the wind out of your sail from that point on. And uh, I, I was that 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 was when the time when you and I really started to hang out. Um, at the end of your Suzuki deal, I used to come down and, and hang out down at your house in Florida, and you know the the training regiment. <laughs> I wouldn't say back in those days was what it is today with these guys. Um, there was a there was a lot of riding going on, that's for sure. But the cross training, there wasn't too much. It was, you know, hang out at night, you know, get drunk, go ride in the morning and go do whatever we had to do. But uh I think um, you know, from from the turning point, um, you know, you rode you had quite a good run with Honda Troy for a while. And uh, you know, I, I remember you were on, you know, the Honda Troy team and, and going to Supercross races and watching the first practice with all, you know, with you and Jeremy and Larry Ward and, you know, all the, all the big guys, all the practice. And there would be a, a triple and there's like no way people could, no, on track walk, no one's going to jump it. Fucking Swingster will jump it, let him do it, and then we'll follow. Like, I cannot remember a race when someone said it, w- it couldn't be done. You were like the crash dummy. If Swink did it, I would do it. Is that the way it went? Yeah. Did it look like way yeah, in your eyes? That's pretty much it. And I always went like, "All right, we got a triple on this track. If I don't jump it, will anybody jump it? Are they just all gonna fucking single the things?" You know what I mean, I, I used to think that myself. I was like, "Watch me do. I'll jump this thing." Did you ever go to a race? Did you ever go to a race and go? You know what? Fuck it! I'm not jumping it. They're jumping it first, and then no one jumped it. Then you just said, "Fuck it! I'm jumping it." In no, the race. because they were they were too scared. All of them were too scared, Kenny. So I, if if I didn't do it, they didn't do it. So I just do it, and then everybody follows suit. Wow, that's crazy. That's just that's no, just it, it, that's just that's crazy a to me. Complete true story. I, I did something one time. I remember it clear as day. It was in San Jose. And I was uh, one of those, like, it was one of those steep jumps. And then I triple after it. And I jumped the first steep jump over the first triple. And I went a little bit long, bust my nuts. Couldn't breathe for 15 minutes pulled off the track, you know, in the mechanics area. And Jeff Matasevich pulled over and he said, what are you doing, dude? He said, I will watch you jump that thing. You're out of hand. Something's wrong with you. <laughs> I was like, no, ain't something wrong with me. I said, and I'm jumping up and down. I'm trying to get my ball to drop back into my sack a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's not funny, right? What, what is? 
I'm jumping, <laughs> like literally jumping. So you know, back then when you like you you were still racing McGrath back in those days, and he yeah. you know that's when he was dominating, and you were still there. Were you beaten before you even get to the line? Did you know? Fuck, I ain't got no. I ain't. I, there ain't no way I'm gonna beat this guy ever I, tonight. Or did you just go out there no, and say no? Because I wanted to beat him so bad, and I had him pass me one time around the outside, like I was a piece of shit. And I lost my temper, and I just went wild, but then crashed into him. But, yeah, I, I hated the fact that Jeremy beat me. But you know what? Jeremy's such a nice guy. You you, you can't be mad at him. Yeah, that was going to be my next question to you. Were you always, was it like just a, like a, a competitive battle where you just wanted to beat him so bad? And then you just had nothing but respect for him off the track. I know once you put your helmet on, you're like, you're a nut. But do you think yeah, when you put your on? But no, Jim, Jim is a nice guy, man. Yeah, that's and for sure. He's definitely that, a class that, that made it even worse. You know what I mean? When a nice guy kicked your ass, it's worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. It, Listening to a lot of this unload on him and. You know, I grew up as a, a, a fighter. You know, I mean, I mean, fifth fighter. In but Jesus Christ, he, when Jeremy's so nice, he, he's a, he's a good guy. Yeah, he and you know, it's still to this day. He's he's an awesome. He's a great awesome. ambassador for the sport. He's the you know yeah. he's he, even to this day. People walk up to him. He's a, he's just a nice guy. He he'll give anyone you know the time of, and and talk to anyone and you know. I have I, no disrespect for Jeremy. The only disrespect I have is he beat me too many times. But other than that, he's he's a nice guy. Yeah, that's for sure. So, anyways, getting back to your career here a little bit, you know, you had you had those Honda Troy days that were, you know, you you had some decent results. You you hit the podium a few times. You were always a threat. Anytime you you went on that track, you had that ability to win. I I personally thought, you know, I would. I mean, if they had the motocross fantasy league to this day, you would always be in my top five. I mean, I don't care what the situation was. Um, then uh, at the at the end of the. After your Honda Troy things, things kind of started slipping away. Um, I was fortunate. I was always a friend and a fan. And then we started the Moto Triple X team, and you came on board there that year. Um, and I was, we were all ecstatic to have you. We were like, yeah, we're going to take Squink filming. He's going to come to California. He's going to stay with us. We're going to go hang out. We're going to do everything that we need to do. And you know what? It was fun, but we didn't get the results. And I've never seen a man so battered and a guy hit the ground as hard as you and would just bounce back. And it got to the point where I remember at the beginning of the season when you earned national number 13 and I said, Hey, do you want to take 13 or do you want to you know, take 14 or in your Alps? Shit. Phil run it. He did good. I'm not superstitious. I'll <laughs> run 13. Fuck that 13. It is. And we ran 13 and it didn't work out too good for us. But you changed your number halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> what number do we go back to? 203? One, 103 or something. Yeah, 103, 203. I, I, I just remember you going, hey, remember when we talked about that? I think I want to change it. I got to try something because this ain't working. <laughs> I, I became a pussy. Just, uh, I'm out, dude. <laughs> Because I can't handle it no more. Well, I knew something was going wrong, dude. When I beat we went myself to... up to death. I thought. <laughs> I knew something death. was going wrong. We went to the first race, and your mechanic had a seizure <laughs> in the fucking mechanics area. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, shit, dude. We need a mechanic. The whole year went bad, man. Oh, dude. And then you crashed that day. Remember, you had a front flat, and you endo down the peristyles and knocked yourself out. You know, it was just one thing after the next, and, you know, your results weren't there all year. And I think that was the end yeah. of it. I mean, after that year, I think you called it quits. And uh, Yeah, I was done after that. Yeah, and, and you, you packed it up, and you went home to Michigan. My next question to you is, you know, after being that guy, being Brian Swink, and 
having, you know, your phone ring and people want to do interviews and people sending you boxes of clothes and wanting you to endorse this and endorse that, the phone stopped ringing. And people that were only calling you are the people that really were your true friends because who you are, not what you are. And I want to know, and I'm sure a lot of listeners want to know, how, how did that feel, you know, because what I'm trying to get at is, in the sport today, there's all these guys that just think that, you know, that, that window is open for so long. Like, oh, I'm going to be this guy. I'm going to make millions of dollars. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Well, you didn't make millions and millions of dollars where you didn't have to go to work. You didn't have to rely on and live off of what you did. Don't get me wrong. I think you made a decent living where you can buy some things, but it wasn't to the point where you had – you know, an agent, a manager, 15 man friends telling you what to do, someone to help you with your finances. I'm sure you had people in the right places, but what was that like? I'll tell to you be- what, Kenny, if I had a man friend, then punch me in the fucking face because I don't need a man friend. I thought dry. I, I thought dry was. <laughs> no, dry is <laughs> a friend of mine, dude. <laughs> I don't need a man friend, motherfuckers. Uh. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I didn't make no money. I got no money. But yeah, let me I, let me ask you this question: What do you think your whole like your out of your whole career? What did you? What was your net like? What do you think you made like when you got done uh, racing and after all your salaries and all your gear money and all your endorsements? When it all said and done, all in, all in, not what you had in the bank. But how much do you think you I, I got would, paid? I, I would have to sit down and think about that, Kenny. Uh, not much. I mean, uh, maybe $400,000 a year. I, I'm just throwing it out there real quick. But I would have to sit down and think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, the normal person is going to go, but, shit, but, you made $400,000 a year. And that's only, that's only for, let's say, $400,000 a year for like five years. Yeah, but most people are going to go, so, dude, that's a lot of money, but you don't think about it. Okay, it's $400,000 no, a year. a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. You got to pay taxes out of that and shit. Yeah, you got to pay taxes off of that, too. And you got to pay for your mortgage, and you got to pay for the right. upkeep of your track. And you got to right. pay for the fuel to go in the tractor that you have to buy. And you have to pay for, you know, everything else, the, the cost of living. Right. So a lot of people don't understand. They think, you know, you know, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, there's only a handful of people in this sport that are going to be able to walk away from this sport and retire and not work again and do something in life to earn an income because motocross yeah. racing isn't the all almighty and the window shuts really quick. You probably have three or four years where you're going to make good money. And what I'm trying uh, to get at is that, the that door shut then, it, then it slams shut and there's a million yeah, different things going on in people's lives because of motorcycle racing that happens. And that's uh-huh. what I want to get into with you. But after, you know, when it, I just, you know, getting back to what we were talking about, when it was over, what was that, what was that, that loneliness feeling I could just imagine that you felt like, did, uh, I, I mean, i be straight up with you, yeah, I became an alcoholic. For me to avoid thinking about my boss career because for me it sucked because I never won a super I, I never won a single supercross in the four in, in the in the in the 250 class yeah that that's all that matters to me and when I got to that point it was like what the hell's going on I can't do it and I couldn't and I realized it that it was never going to happen and so if I drank enough alcohol, then I wouldn't think about it. In I know it's sad to say, but man, I would drink a fifth of alcohol like nothing, like water. And it, it became repetitious and more and more and more. And I got divorced because of it. And it my whole life was in shambles because I didn't win a Supercross. So, so you're saying that the pretty much the 
we'll call it the state of depression that you have, you fell into was because of you were so hard on yourself that you didn't succeed in racing because that was your goal in your dream that you were going to try to achieve and you put everything you had in your life into this goal and it did not work out and you felt like you failed. Yeah. Exactly. And you were you were to the point where you said, you know what, I don't give a shit. I'm a loser. I'm a failure to myself, to my family, to my friends, to my kids, to my wife. And at this point in time, I give up. Fuck everybody. Yeah. So I started drinking. So were you, were, was this, were you, did you like drink alone? Did you like, was it a social? No, I drank alone. Yeah, I drank alone. It wasn't like a social scene where you'd go to parties and just get wasted and no. be around other people. You just isolate yourself and drink. Yeah. And how long well, did that how I long did that like, go down for? <laughs> it's still going down, man. Still going down? Ten, twelve years, yeah. Ten, twelve years. Long time. I mean it, it's to the point where like I wake up and I I don't even know what fucking day of the week it is. I still look at my watch and realize oh shit. I gotta go to work today. And I'm pretty good at what I do. But it it's it's fucked, man. I'm a, I'm a mess. Well, you know, I I, I I I would, you know, beg to differ. I, I, I don't think that, you know I I think like I said, this window's only open so hard and, and I, I'm a firm believer, you know, you get what you put out of it. And, you know, I think that you did definitely have your your, your ups and downs in your career. Um, and I'm one of those guys that said, hey, if someone's better than me than like Jeremy McGrath ended up being, even though you didn't want to think that, you know, and you've always been that gentleman where I took my hat off to him and you would shake his hand and do whatever and say, you know, he got me. But I always say, you know, the window in motocross racing is always so short. There's so much more to life than racing a dirt bike. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I talked to you off the air a few times, you know, in the last couple of weeks, and we were just talking about life and family and kids. And you told me your kids were down and, you know, you're telling me about your job and how great everything is. And, you know, I, I really believe, you know, that, you know, you are in a position where you can help other people. And I think that's where we're trying to get at. And I talked to you, you listened to my last podcast and it sounded like it, it hit your heart and, you know, and I told you, Brian, if you could come on this show and ex- share some exp- some experience, what you went through, and help some people understand that there is way more to this than racing. There's way more to this than dirt bike racing. And learn from what I did and and move forward and better yourself and get an education. And, and this day the racing's over is going to happen eventually. No one races forever. No one keeps moving on forward and forward. And, and I know that this, this disease that you have been fighting demons and, you know, it sounds like to me, you know, you say you're an alcoholic and you do this and you do that. I, I don't know your situation, but just talking to you like right now, you sound a lot better to me than you have in years. You, you have a great hey, job. Hey man, I've been, I've been doing a lot better. Well, dude, you, you sound like it. You know, I remember, you know, a, a, like a year or two ago, I mean, it's not even that long, maybe a year ago, I, you know, I was, you know, ready to come pick you up and bring you to my house and say, live on my couch and we'll take care of this and we'll fight this together. And, you know, you're like, no, no, I got this. You know, I'm going to figure it out. And, you know, you went out and got yourself a great job. You know, you, you, you enjoy what you do. You're really, really good at what you do. And, and, and people around you, you know, are, they love you and they care about you like, you know, like you're one of the guys. And, you know, just talking to the mutual friends that we have that care about you, it's it's awesome to hear them talk about where you're at today and how far you've come in, in conquering these demons that you have. Because, dude, you've come a long, long ways, you know. And I know that, you know, part of the time when you were going through this crap that your family has, has always been a super strong, you know, supporter of your racing, and I know but back when, when all this hit the fan and, you know, you, you turned to the bottle and you were drinking, that it must have been a really hard impact on, on them and all the people around you. 
And, you know, how, how, how does that, how do you deal with that on a daily basis? Like trying to mend that? You know what? I get up and I go to work every day and I block it out. And it's, it doesn't go away. That's a problem I've got. I've got to deal with. I need to understand that I got to control it 100% and not just think, just get up and go to work and block it out for the day. Because every day at 6 o'clock, it comes back around, man. And I don't know. Getty, I, I, I wish I was, <laughs> I wish I didn't have this problem. Believe me. But, I mean, I'm an addict. And I try to deal with it. Do you think it's just something you, do you think it's something that you're just going to accept and live with the rest of your life? Or are you just trying, are, are you, are you working on it every day to better yourself? That's, that's the, I work on, yeah, I work on it every day, but it's something I've got to deal with for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, it's not going to go away. Well, so, you know, you might think that you're alone, but you're not the only guy in this world that has gone through this. Maybe not at the racing end of it, but with with these demons and these issues that you have. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, family problems and, you know, family issues yeah. that's gone through your life and, you know, that people don't know about and that people don't need to know about. But at the end of the day, everybody has their own bag of secrets that they deal with, their inner demons, their depression and this and that. But you know what? Everything is is fixed. Well, how's, how do I put this? Everything is doable. Everything can be healed if you want it to bad enough. And it sounds like to me, just like I said, in the last, you know, six I, I months. and cry and be a little bitch about everything, you know. But it, it, like you say, everybody's dealing with the same problems. And sometimes I cry myself asleep. Yeah, I know most guys look at me and people and they go, someone's a badass. No, man, I, I cry myself to sleep several nights and it's not fun. There ain't no fun about it, but you know, we, we got to do what we got to do. Yeah. Get well, you know, it. I didn't, I didn't do this, this podcast with you to, to try to dig down and, and be, you know, get to the, to the root I, of I wanted to you. You know I want them to. Yeah, I know, Brian. But the, 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 what I would like to do is maybe this can reach someone that's going through the same thing you are. And maybe they could send me, you know, you know, you could shout out your Facebook and they could reach out to you. And, and maybe someone could call uh-huh. you and some someone that you don't even know and you could reach back out to and you could get a relationship. And you guys could talk about things and try to figure things out in, in a positive way and help each other. But I don't I, – I mean, in my heart, I really do not believe – that what what you're going through it's like the old saying excuse me it's like if you're standing next to this guy in the supermarket and he's dressed to the tee he has a mercedes outside and he has a beautiful wife under his arm in the perfect looking situation you know i always look at that guy and go man i wish i wonder what it would be like to be him where you don't have no worries in the world if you got millions of dollars in the bank i would i would trade my bag of problems with his any day but you don't know what that guy's going through. You don't know who he is. You don't know anything about that man. So I always say, you know what? I wouldn't want to trade my bag of issues with anybody because you don't know who they are. They could be some stalker, serial killer, pedophile. You don't know. You have no clue. But I know one thing. I know you. You're a good-hearted man. You're a good father. You're a great guy to be around. You're fun. You know, I know that we, when you when you have to drink and do whatever you got to do to make yourself right, that you think is right, that ain't the guy that I know. I know the loving, cool guy to be around, wanting to see me get beat up by Mike Brown, egging him on, love watching MMA fighting. You know, that's the guy I know. Not not yeah. not the not the Brian Swink that was in the past and it's getting better every day. And I'm here to help yeah. that guy. 
But, you know, this podcast wasn't about for me to call you and talk about, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the, for the root and to fix it. And whatever we can do to make it better, we're here for you. I know, you know, all your friends, you know, we're all here. You know, it's funny, K-Dab, and I, I, I know you got all this recording, all this. Like, I started talking to you like a friend and didn't even realize it. And it was almost like I was having a conversation with a friend and didn't realize it was going to be probably broadcasted. But that's fine, you know, because everything you just said is right. Well, you know, and when I told you what we were going to do here, that's what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be two guys talking about a problem. And what's the root of the problem? And maybe if you didn't recognize it, but you do recognize it. And you know what? Oh, you, I, you, I recognize it. I know it. And you are, you are, you are a guy that has re- responsibilities of being a father, that you take care of that. You do go to work every day. You are that. Right. You have demons. Everybody has demons. If, it, if it's a demon of, you know, a guy that likes to watch porn every night, or if it's a guy that, you know, likes to smoke <laughs> cigarettes, everybody has a demon. You, you have a disease, <clears throat> And it's it, what you have is a disease, just like someone and people are going to argue with me. But you know what? You have a disease just like anyone with a with a health issue or something like that. If you have cancer, diabetes, anything, you have a disease mm-hmm. and that disease isn't just going to go away. You know, your body is depending on it and all that good stuff. And it can be treated and it can be helped. I personally, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a drug counselor. I'm not any of that stuff. But what I can be for you as a friend and, you know, I just wanted to say thank you very, very much, Brian, for opening up and, and just, you know, telling us your story and, and what, where you're at today. But let's turn this thing into a positive. So what's going on with you? What are you doing? Where are you working? How are the people in your life? Let's turn, I, this, let's turn this thing into a positive and end it on uh, a good note. I know my ex-wife know where I'm working, but I, I work. I, I run heavy equipment. in. I'm a badass, <laughs> and I can load dump trucks like a motherfucker. So like you should, like you should. As, probably as good as I ever rode a motorcycle. I don't think there's, I, I don't I'm think there's anything badass. that you would do that you wouldn't be a badass. I don't think you would go do a job and be <laughs> a half-ass guy. So that's I, I get guys that I load up, and they say, "I really appreciate how good you load me." And you make me have to, have to get up there and shovel and do all that bullshit. And that makes me feel good, you know what I mean? Because I take a little extra time, extra couple seconds, and do it right. Anything I do, I, I don't half-ass it. Yep. And that's what I do, man. That's bitching. Well, you know what? Maybe we could take that next step to life. And besides, you know, working and all that other bullshit, we could... We could do right life right together, and uh, you know I consider you a lifelong friend, Brian Swink, and uh, I just really, really want to thank you for for opening up. And you know, there's you know you could call me at any time, and you know I'm there except for when you call me oh, in, in the middle there. of the night thank asking you. me for, for motorcycle fantasy picks because you know who I'm going to pick. <laughs> I, I pick Cooper Webb and, and uh, Ken Roxon every week. So I like Cooper Webb too. Uh, that's what you said. All right, all right, buddy. Well, hey, if you need me, I'm here. Do you want to? Do you want to? Uh, if you'd like, if you want to, you know, if someone wants to get in touch with you and, and talk to you, do you want to give out your Facebook or any of that good yeah. stuff? Uh, it's, I, I don't know what my Facebook is. You don't know how to get a hold of you? No, Brian Swink. Brian Swink on know. Brian Swink on Facebook. Yeah, anybody that I mean, I got. Alcohol issues. I mean, anybody that has a drug issue, I would more than happy to talk to him about it because I, I went through tons of AA and rehab stuff. Been to rehab three or four times, and maybe I can help a little bit. I don't know because it hasn't worked for me, but I, I know the program. You know what I mean? Well, let me let me ask you a question, and, and, I'll, and I'll put this in motorcycle terms. When you were riding your dirt bike and you couldn't figure out a rhythm section or you couldn't figure out how to go through that corner or you used to fall down a lot, what would you do? 
like when you were riding and when you were a kid and when you learned how to ride, when you used to fall down, what did you used to do? You used to get back up uh, and, and try it again. So yeah, don't I'd get up and I try it again. I do it until it works. Exactly. So that's what you need to do with 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 uh, your drinking problem, buddy. You just right. can never give up. Yeah. And you know what? There could be that that one cl- uh, moment of clarity where someone calls you, or reaches out on Facebook, and he's going to tell you his story, or someone's going to reach out and it's going to click. So don't ever, ever, ever give up and let those demons take over. Because you know what, dude? If you put the drive and energy that you put into your racing into figuring out your disease and in, in, in recovery. You got this shit handled, buddy. It's just, you know, that day, one day you're going to wake up, and if you keep trying, you're going to wake up one day, and it's gonna, you're going to get it. That's all there is to it. You, you, yeah. are, you are a champion, dude. You might have not won races. You might have not have freaking won championships, but you know what? You're a winner in life, and that's all that matters. You know, you're a great father. You know, you're a great ambassador for, you know, people still talk about the swingster in the pits, believe it or not. <laughs> the people that been around, hey, you talked to Swink. Oh, yeah, I talked to Swink. He's all right. He's doing his thing. Cool, cool. He's a bad dude. Yep, you're a bad dude, Swinkster, on and off the bike. So don't don't ever all doubt right. yourself and don't ever, you know, think that you're nothing because you are. All right, Ken. All right, buddy. Fight the good fight, right, my friend. Care, all right, thanks for the thanks for the time, Brian. No problem. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Well, there you go, Brian Swink. That was a little dark. I wasn't expecting all that, but uh, you know what? It is what it is. Uh, kind of left me uh, speechless there. Kind of got a little teary-eyed. But, uh, you know, Brian sounds like, uh, you know, he's still battling some demons. And, uh, you know, maybe some people listening to this could just give him a shout-out on his, his Facebook. And, wow, kind of heavy. But, uh, once again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, you could go to Steve Mathis on iTunes and listen to Kenny's Corner. Just look under Steve Mathis on iTunes or hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Vegas K-Dub and uh, let me know what you think. And uh, we'll keep doing these things. So once again, thank you everybody for listening and talk to you soon.